words that simply say, you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. Why union with Christ? I think union with Christ addresses so many of the false choices that our previous speakers have um, talked about and even lamented about this morning, and it addresses and helps us as believers, as pastors, as teachers, confront and address uh, so many of the things we know are false choices that are bedeviling our lives and bedeviling those that we love. And I also think it brings together uh, and marries uh, so many diverse streams without compromising the best of either. Well, I'm a runner in many senses, and I like to listen to music while I run. And a few years ago, Nike ran an ad, <clears throat> and ever since then, this has been one of my uh, go-to running songs. Uh, the tune is what it's known for, but I've come to lo love the song for its lyrics. The lyrics uh, go, no change, I can change, I can change, but I'm here in my mold. I'm here in my mold. I'm a million different people from one day to the next. I can't change my mold. No, I can't change. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. We all know, sadly, there's been an epidemic of pastors resigning in disgrace. It's not new. One of them, a friend of mine, he said to me, you know when you're really ready to repent, you know you're ready to repent when all you want to do is change and you have no idea how to change yourself. So what's the problem? What is the disconnect? What is the song that we need to hear? I'd like to say respectfully that wise spiritual counselors give us conflicting advice as to the root of the problem and the way to move forward. In the main, there are two dominant voices on offer in the church today. One you could call the way of extravagant grace, just believe the gospel. The other you could call the way of radical discipleship, just obey. Now no one wants to pit these voices against one another, but we often can't help but hear them as two different songs playing in our heads. I'd like you to imagine each of these with its own volume knob as we turn up the volume on one, we instinctively turn down the volume on the other. If we try to hear them both simultaneously, we often think we have to hear them both at half volume. I first heard the song of extravagant grace in my early 20s through the writings of Brendan Manning. He said, my song over 50 years has remained unchanged and it is this, God loves you unconditionally as you are, not as you should be. The message of grace, he writes, hikes up the robe and runs breakneck toward the prodigal, wraps him up and throws a party. No ifs, ands, or buts. Manning concludes, grace works without asking anything of us. And because we are relentless, we are so sadly relentless in trying to justify our lives, and because we all do preen before the mirror of other people's opinions, we can't hear this song of grace enough. We need to hear it again and again, full volume, undiluted, all the way up, 
in all of its shocking candor. Grace abounds. Only those who believe will obey. This is our beautiful news. Believe the gospel of grace. Come and rest. And yet, after hearing this song of grace over and over and preaching it myself, singing it, as it were, when I looked at my own life, I began to increasingly feel like a fraud. There was a growing disconnect between the words I heard coming out of my mouth and the realities of my own heart. And I began to ask, why isn't the gospel doing its deep work in me? Why am I not changing more? Just believe the gospel was beginning to sound more like a threadbare refrain. Not to mention when I read the Bible itself, I felt like I needed to turn down the volume on passages like, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Or you are my friends if you do what I command you. Have you ever felt like you were editing Jesus? Moreover, I'd become skeptical about ever experiencing the real spiritual transformation the Bible talks about. Rivers of living water, maybe a drop here or there. I couldn't make the grace I preached about drip down from my head into my heart. I knew the arithmetic of grace and I could preach it eloquently. I increasingly felt like I did not know the author of it. As I was agonizing over these questions, I was introduced to two other writers, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Dallas Willard, who gave a very different prescription of the major problem facing the church. For Bonhoeffer, the greatest illness of the church is not our lack of familiar, familiarity with grace, but rather our over-familiarity with it. He said rather shockingly to my ears, the word of cheap grace has been the ruination of more Christians than any commandment of works. He said that in 1935. This hit me hard because it's exactly what I'd been doing. I'd been using grace as an excuse not to follow Jesus. I wasn't doing it consciously, of course, but I was so adamant to emphasize grace that I'd begun to diminish the call to discipleship. Bonhoeffer sounded a very different message from grace works without asking anything from us. In calling the church back to discipleship, he found, Bonhoeffer found a worthy successor in Dallas Willard, the gentle prophet, who charged the church with diminishing the good news into what he called a gospel of sin management. Bonhoeffer and Willard gave a very different diagnosis of what is most ailing the church today and consequently such a different prescription for health. Willard and Bonhoeffer both turn up the volume of the song, Follow Jesus. And because we are prone to excuse ourselves with consolations of grace, and because we are even more so today living in an entitled culture, and because we can be given to sloth and its cousin, Acedia, we need to hear these voices that turn the call to follow Christ all the way up. We need to turn that dial up to full volume and say only those who obey will believe. This too is a song that breaks into our heart and changes everything. Obey Jesus, come and die. And yet this message left me more exhausted than ever. 
and stripped me of the assurance that grace had given me in the first place. As a young pastor, I lacked the category to hold these voices together. And these writers were heroes of mine and people of deep personal piety. But for my part, I couldn't hold the voices together, intellectually or more importantly, personally. How do you hold these voices together? The gospel of extravagant grace that requires nothing from us and the gospel of radical discipleship that demands everything of us. That was my question, which is it? Come and rest or come and die? We suspect it's a false choice. We know it ha doesn't have to be either or. We know both of these messages are thoroughly biblical and we know each is sorely needed. And we see how either message by itself can be dangerous. The call to be radical can make you exhausted, but the call to be ordinary can make you apathetic. No one wants to pit these voices against one another, but how do we hold them together? I'd like to suggest balance may not be the best word because it suggests a 50-50 split, whereas what we need is 100% of both. And this became my overriding question. How can we hear both of these songs full volume without compromising either? I knew both needed to be turned all the way up, but I wasn't sure how to do that. I suspected it had something to do with the Holy Spirit, but I am a Presbyterian minister. <laughs> Years into the struggle, I read something Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. Only those who believe will obey, and only those who obey will believe. If you only say only those who believe will obey, he said that is cheap grace and that is damnation. But if you only say only those who obey will believe, that is works righteousness. And he says this too is damnation. He said both must be said. He said the preacher of the gospel must say both. Only those who believe will obey, and only those who obey can believe. Both must be said, but how? Many of us lack a framework to hold them together as teachers in our teaching or personally in our walk with Christ. How can we sing both songs at full volume? We know that extravagant grace and radical discipleship meet in the person of Jesus himself. After all, this was the man who welcomed prostitutes and tax collectors, and yet this was also the man who told his own, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Becoming a Christian means more than believing Christ did certain things for you long ago. And while it is wonderful news that we can now be found right with God outside of ourselves, it is even more wonderful news that Christ himself is not outside of us, but deigns to make himself one with us. This is union with Christ. The Holy Spirit unites us to Christ. If you are in Christ, to use the most conspicuous descriptor of the New Testament, if you are in Christ, Christ has truly made himself one with you. Christ has joined his life to yours in such an intimate and comprehensive fashion that the prevailing metaphor for this in the Bible is marriage. And because of your union with Christ, the songs of extravagant grace and radical discipleship 
can no more be separated in you than Christ himself can be torn in two. Union with Christ displaces us from the center of our lives. That may be why it's not at the center of our theology, because it displaces us from the center. It tells us we can only discover who we are, who God created us to be, through living in union with his Son. It tells us the work of Christ for us cannot be separated from the person of Christ in us. By living in union with him, we receive what John Calvin once called a double grace. A double grace. And by double grace, he meant to use the Bible's words that both justification and sanctification flow out of our union with Christ. But union is what is primary. Union is what is primary. To illustrate double grace, he used a picture from nature, the light and heat from the sun. He said, Christ, our righteousness, is the sun. Christ is the sun. Justification, it's light. Sanctification, it's heat. But the sun is at once the sole source of both, such that light and heat are inseparable. At the same time, only light illuminates and only heat warms, not the reverse. Both are always present, without the one becoming the other. But from the one sun come light and heat. Each is distinct, yet life is not possible without both. So where does this land? Where does this land? Well, don't let what happened to Leo Tolstoy happen to you. Later in his life, many of you know Tolstoy became a Christian. The Sermon on the Mount particularly moved him, yet by any measure, Tolstoy could not live up to the demands of Christ that he took very seriously. These demands crushed him and they crushed his marriage. Tolstoy took the demands of Jesus with the utmost seriousness. And yet what is tragic for this brilliant author, this brilliant man, is that what Tolstoy didn't know was how to hold the demands of Jesus alongside the grace of Jesus in a way that enhanced both without canceling either. Union with Christ enables you, it enables us to hold and hear the high call of Christ, not as a bar to live up to, but as an ennobling reality to live into, to press on, to use the familiar words of another author, further up and further in, to what is already yours in Christ. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it, not that I have already obtained this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that, for which Christ Jesus has already taken hold of me. And there it is. You see how either song alone is insufficient to rescue us. Just believe the gospel more leaves you with the suspicion that it's up to you. That song alone can leave you cynical and stuck. Obey Jesus more can lead you to the terrifying possibility that perhaps you are the one to whom Jesus will say, I never knew you. And that song can leave you ashamed and exhausted because we understand the song. I can't change my mold. That's right. But do you know who you are? You are in Christ. You are in Christ. And the work of Christ sets you free from sin's penalty so that even now, you can boldly approach the throne of grace and confidence in your time of need, joyful confidence in your time of need, completely covered 
completely covered in Christ's righteousness. And you can say, only those who, who believe will obey. At the same time, Christ is in you. Christ is in you. Do you know what it means to have the Holy Spirit? It means nothing less than having the incarnate, obedient, crucified, resurrected, and ascended Lord within you at all times and all places. That's why it is to your advantage that Jesus went away. Because the only thing better than having Jesus beside you is having Jesus within you, wherever you go. That is the Holy Spirit. The person of Christ sets you free from sin's power. Only those who obey can believe. Friends, union with Christ is a song that we need to rediscover and is the song we need to sing and hear today. The song of grace without union with Christ becomes impersonal, a cold calculus that leaves you cynical. The song of discipleship without union with Christ becomes joyless duty, a never-ending hill that has left you and so many others exhausted. So to the imposters and to the frauds, to those of you who do feel like a million different people from one day to the next, to those who can't change your mold, that is right, you cannot. But when the life of God comes into your life, he can, and he promises that he will make all things new, including you. That's living water can flow out of your life and will. Union with Christ holds together what so many of us desire but are struggling to hold together. It allows us to sing, sing full-throated, a song of grace that asks nothing of us to love us. That is truly an amazing grace, but at the same time demands everything from us, my soul, my life, my all. Thank you. Thank you.